0: It is without any serious doubt that we have seen Jesus the Lord by partaking of the Lord's supper today and by singing these songs of praise to our God and we hope that we will be pleasing to our father and to the son for the good that they have done for us and that they continue to do in benefit for our lives. I invite you to open your bibles if you would to the book of Titus chapter 1 to a passage that we looked at three or four weeks ago, and we're going to relook at it just briefly to set the stage for our study together this morning in the epistle that Paul writes to Titus in chapter 1, and we'll begin there in just a, a couple of seconds or so. Glad to have, as our brother mentioned at the outset of our services, those who are visiting, you are our honored guests. We hope that you'll uh, take advantage of opportunities, or maybe even make opportunities to come back and uh, revisit us. We are glad to have you with us and you are encouraging to us. We have been engaging in over the last uh, four to five weeks in a series of three lessons on the subject of elders ruling well, which comes from a statement that the Holy Spirit made when he says that the elders who are among you, that they should rule well or that they should uh, act in a way that is in accordance with what God has designed for their governance and for their execution of his will and for their shepherding of the local church wherein they serve. And so this is the third and the final uh, component in that series, and let me Let me just say a couple of things at the outset of this particular study that this series is not what I would call all-inclusive or all-comprehensive and so there will be things that I have left unsaid and some of you have shared with me some of your comments by way of email and conversation and I'm so thankful for those thoughts Uh, and you have added to some of the things that I have brought out so it may be that you're frustrated at the conclusion of these three sermons and say, well, he didn't talk about scenario. A or whatever the case may be and that wasn't necessarily my objective to talk about everything but just to do a general overview and for those of you that are maybe new to the church here at Northfield Boulevard or those of you that are visiting with us uh, we began 2023 with uh, a recognition that our three elders are doing a good job uh, and we appreciate the work that John Phil and Gerald do on a routine basis but we're also also looking at the distinct possibility, in fact, the likely probability of adding uh, others to that number. And on that note, I would encourage you to take a look at the article. Not now, uh, but a little bit later in the bulletin, uh, there is a, uh, a, a shepherd at a church. Uh, outside of Tennessee, who writes some articles that I read from time to time, and he wrote an article about consensus and how a group of three or four or five or six men come together on difficult issues. I thought it was kind of a a good article, so I put it in to uh, the notable notes that you can pick up on the way out. Uh, If we run out, let me know, and I'll make sure that we get some more. But I want to just talk a little bit more on the pragmatic side today. We talked about qualifications. We talked about what motivates, and we're going to deal with that a little bit today, but I want to start here in Titus chapter 1, and I want to read about eight verses just to set the stage for what we're talking about. Generally, we read verses 5 through 9, and then we stop, and that's not necessarily wrong to do, but I want to read 5 through verse 16, so I guess that's about 12 verses, uh, and just get the whole context of what Paul is saying here. Just as a reminder, if nothing else, over the uh, importance of the the job and the role of servants that elders uh, are tasked with he says this reason i left you titus in crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as i commanded you if a man is blameless the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self willed, not quick tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober minded, just, holy, and self controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. The reason? There are many insubordinate. Both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but... In works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now that last paragraph or the last half of the passage that I read may seem a little bit obscure to those of us in 21st century Western civilization, but to people in the first century in that part of the world, this would have meant a great deal, dealing with the particular challenges that they were facing with teachers of the circumcision, those who were arguing for the Judaizing method of teaching and of governance and so we may have different challenges today and likely we do and in fact we do but our elders both those who are present and those who will soon be added to the number of shepherds have the responsibility of dealing with 21st century problems 21st century issues, false doctrines that it will come up, that have come up, and maybe we can't even imagine, but they are responsible for being watchmen, as we talked about from the book of Ezekiel a few weeks back, and being ready for anything that would come their way. Of course, they do so with prayer, and they do so with great consideration. Let me say one more thing before we get into our four helpful final reminders, and that is I've had a conversation or two with a few of you uh, younger men, some of you who are older men, uh, and this is a lesson for those that certainly uh, are having conversations or will be having conversations with men that you think would be well-suited to serve as shepherds in this church. Uh, This is a reminder, and I appreciate the the shepherds that we have making mention of the fact that they needed to be reminded of these things as well, and I'm I'm convinced that they already know that. But this is also a message for those of you that are in your teens and those of you that are in your 20s and 30s and 40s and and younger or older, whatever the case may be. I hope that if you are in your teens or 20s or 30s and you are a child of God or even older— that you're already thinking about the possibility of serving as a shepherd. Maybe it will be three or four decades from now. But I hope that that's something that's on your radar. Because as we said two weeks ago, you can't say, well, I'm now X age old, whatever older is, and decide now's the time to prepare. Nothing wrong with making those kinds of uh, changes later in life. But in order to be, it seems to me, the most effective at being prepared to serve as a shepherd and as an elder ruling well, that's something you're thinking about even in your teens and in your 20s. And those of you that are in your teens and 20s and 30s and 40s that are women, be thinking about the fact that I would like my future husband or my current husband maybe to one day serve in that capacity. And can I help him? In that, So this is really a lesson for all of us as we conclude with four, what I hope are helpful reminders. And the first of those is this. And I hinted at this two weeks ago, and that is we are not looking for perfect men. Because if we're looking for perfect men, I know that there are three men who would quickly say, I'm not qualified. Because they're not perfect. Nobody is perfect. Now, the standard is high. When you read Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, when you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, you get a picture of men that are of high caliber, high character, and high quality. But let me just suggest to you that when it comes to a local church, there are certain things that may give a little bit of heartache to a local church. And one of those things is when we are about the business of seeking new elders, it is an exciting time for this particular church, but it is a potentially anxious event for any local church. Now, you say, wait a minute, we can't be anxious because Paul said, don't be anxious about anything in Philippians chapter four, and I understand that, but a healthy sense of concern making sure that we get it right is 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 a good thing i would suggest there are churches whether you know this or not that just for the sake of checking a box saying we have shepherds will appoint men who have no business being shepherds that may come as as a complete surprise to you but it has happened it is happening and it will happen now i'm not the ultimate judge but i'm just saying that based on looking out and based on the way the trajectory of those churches go and the fact that those churches sometimes divide and then they sometimes are uh in in troubled waters in part because of weak eldership or elders who not who ought not be in that place in the first place so It goes back to verse 5 of Titus chapter 1 where it says those things that are lacking. If this church did not have shepherds, this would not be a church that is uh, displeasing to the Lord. But we would certainly, I think, all say we're lacking something. And I think we would all agree that we now no longer lack that. And we look forward to having others who will serve in that capacity. Now, it seems to me that this anxiousness is often associated with a misunderstanding of this first helpful reminder. We're looking for perfect men. And so we've got Bob Smith, and I, I went to the directory and I made sure there was no Bob Smiths. So we've got Bob Smith, uh, who is a candidate, someone who we're looking at, but... 17 years ago, he made a mistake, and so therefore, he's disqualified. Well, that's not the way that it works, because again, Phil and Gerald and John and Bob Smith and anybody else that may uh, consider and have that desire would say, 17 years ago, I probably made some sort of an error as well, if not more recently. Paul says three different times in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1, that elders or shepherds are to be blameless. And I'm not going to go back and revisit that point that I made about four weeks ago, but we understand what that term means. It's something that ultimately is to be associated with all of us as Christians. So this isn't just a, well, I don't have to be blameless because I've never wanted to be an elder. It's not the way it works. But rather, I want to be blameless whether I'm going to serve as a shepherd or not whether I'm a man or a woman or young or old or single or married, whatever the case may be. But it seems to me that blamelessness is what I would call a developed trait that doesn't result from absolute perfection. Paul, who is the author by way of the Holy Spirit, is writing from a perspective wherein he himself was not perfect. And he talks very openly and Luke records, by way of the Holy Spirit, very openly about the errors committed by Saul, who would later be called Paul. It is true that the bar, the the standard, is set uh, dramatically high for elders, and Paul would never serve as an elder. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I had someone years ago do their very best to convince me that Paul served as an elder from a religious denomination uh, point of view. But there is an individual that we all would agree was not a perfect man who served as an elder. And when you think about Cephas, you think about Simon, you think about Peter, here's a man who made grievous errors, who had some issues And fortunately, none of us have any issues. Well, we all have issues. All of us have quirks. All of us have idiosyncrasies. And all of us have our fair share of errors in this life. But I think it's important to remember that when you say, well, I'm not sure that Bob Smith is is really qualified to be an elder. And it may be that he's not. Because he doesn't fit the parameters of 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1. It may be that he just doesn't, he's not capable of doing what Acts chapter 20 is talking about. But let's be careful not to say that Bob Smith is unqualified and is not a good candidate. And I'm not using that word in a political campaign. Please don't, I'm just using that in a more general sense. Um, We're not going to come in with placards one day with Bob Smith for elder. We don't want that. But we do want private conversations, and I know that many of you are having those conversations with Bob Smith and the others that you may be thinking about, and that's good. And again, those of you that are in your 20s or 30s or 40s are thinking about that, hopefully for yourself as well. But Peter was an imperfect man. Yes, he was an apostle. Yes, he had miraculous abilities, but I don't think in my personal or humble opinion, that that's what makes him a good shepherd. It's his dedication to the chief shepherd, as we'll talk about at the conclusion of our study together this morning. Now, we talked about on-the-job training and suggested that elders cannot be just thrown into the fire and say, well, good luck, and hopefully you'll grow over the next three years, and if not, then we'll change our mind, but you've gotta be ready for that we've got to understand that growth will and should occur. And so we have men who are serving as elders here. I don't know for for sure how long uh, some of them have served, but I know it's been for a considerable period of time. There are other men who are present here uh, who have served as pastors in other churches in various times in the past and did so for a few years or maybe a decade or two decades, or whatever the case may be. But I think that every shepherd would say, If you compare me to where I was five years ago, let's say I've been a shepherd for 15 years. If you compare me to five years ago, I've grown as 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 a pastor. I hope so. I hope that our shepherds, and I hope that uh, any future shepherd, would not say, "I've got to the pinnacle. I'm an elder now. I don't need to grow anymore." My faith is as strong as it needs to be, and my Bible study is as dedicated as it needs to be, and my prayer life is always what it should be. Natural talent, by the way, isn't always natural. Think about that for just a moment, that can go a lot of different ways, but I want to go back to a passage in the book of Mark chapter four, just to look at a passage to help illustrate this just, uh, just a bit. In Mark chapter four. We recently had our summer Bible series, which for the first year included uh, classes for adults. And they were great classes. At least four out of five were great. I'll let you figure out which of the five maybe wasn't quite so great. But all of them were great because we were dealing with good material. Uh, And the different brothers who taught just did a, a, a great job. But this is one of those parables that we are likely familiar with. He says, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture? This is Mark chapter 4 and verse 30. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, parable study 101 is, is you don't go necessarily and you try to figure out exactly what each little piece means. Uh, There are times where Jesus, for example, in Matthew chapter 13, says, here's what every piece means. And then there's other times where he says, just get the broader picture here. And it seems to me that we need to remember that God wants churches to grow. He wants the kingdom to grow. And he wants individual Christians to grow. And it seems to me that this would include individual elders, both as their own personal persons and as a collective unit. And so the eldership grows and becomes stronger and wiser together. And the individual elders become stronger and wiser separately. So we are not looking for perfection. So those of you that, that, that may be thinking, yeah, I, I might think about serving. I would like to serve in that capacity, but I'm not perfect. Well, welcome to the club because we're all in that same boat together on that same sea as some would say. Let me suggest to you as a reminder that reputation is important and examples are are key. As with all leadership roles, and this is a role of leadership, uh, someone would say, well, who are your leaders? In fact, uh, some websites for local churches will say, here's our leadership, here are our shepherds, and there's different words that that we can use. Uh, Elders have to lead and serve by example. Let me go over to 1 Peter chapter 5, a passage that we've only just uh, looked at very briefly, but I want to spend just an extra 60 seconds looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, very late in the New Testament. He says, Peter, an elder, Writing to elders who are a part of this potentially discouraged group of people in the first century, he says, The elders who are among you, I want to exhort or teach or encourage. He says, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He says, Here's what I want you to do I want you to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, which, by the way, that phrase among you is important because. Because elders are not responsible for groups that they are not among. Our elders, the three that we have and any additional, are not responsible for congregations 100 miles from here, let alone three miles from here. They're responsible for this flock. He says, not by compulsion, but do so willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but do so eagerly. Nor as being lords over those who entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. There's the word. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Let me suggest you just quickly three aspects of why this all matters by looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Number one, it is an example of volunteerism. Uh, now, some people are volunteered. <laughs> uh, I'm going to volunteer you for this position. That's not the way that the eldership works. Uh, we may come to you. A brother or a sister may say, I'd really like for you to consider serving because I think you've got a heart of of service. You might even go as far as say, you've got a heart of volunteerism. I, I see you and I know that you are constantly seeking to serve the brethren. That's a good thing. Uh, there's sometimes the phrase that we use, stepping up to the plate, if you like, uh baseball analogies. And we won't take the time to read in John chapter 13, but you see an example of Jesus who says, "I'm here. I'm ready to serve." You have the great prophets of old say, "Here am I. Send me. I want to serve." And if you are that Bob Smith that wants to join the other three in serving, that is commendable. Because you have that desire that Paul speaks about to Timothy, and that you have that spirit of volunteerism that is found in 1 Peter chapter five. Let me suggest you, secondly, as an example of humility. Now you got to be careful about this because the moment that you claim humility is the moment that you're no longer humble. That's a tricky thing, but. We want to have a spirit of, quote, not as lords, or the King James Version in some places uses the phrase lording it over the flock. Uh, You don't want a situation where elders come in and say, here's the choice that we've made. We don't care anything about what's good for you, but this is what is good for the three or four or five of us, and this is the choice that we've made, and that's that. Now, there are times where tough decisions have to be made, and we will not all be in agreement. And we said two weeks ago, I think it was, that just because we disagree with our shepherds doesn't mean that we will not submit to them. And there's a healthy line that we've got to make sure that we are not crossing and giving them grief for that work. But it brings us then to this third aspect of examples here in 1 Peter chapter 5, and that is that elders are examples of submission. And any man, Bob Smith or anybody else, that would balk at that concept has probably proven himself not qualified and not able to serve faithfully as a shepherd because we are all in submission to the chief shepherd. And our shepherds, the three of them, will first and foremost tell you that they are in submission to him, he's the boss he's the one. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the course of our study together in just a couple of moments. Let me just suggest to you that an elder who fails to live what I would call the Christian life, what the Bible talks about as being a saint, will do zero good in leading others to Christ, leading others who are already in Christ, and in fact, will likely do more harm. Going back to the point that I stated at the outset of our services, and I have heard some stories and I have seen with my own eyes what happens when you have a local flock that has elders serving in name only. Again, I'm not the one that ultimately judges, but when you you cringe and you say that just doesn't look good. I'm not talking about the way that the elder looks. I'm talking about the optics of their choices and the way that they're governing and the way that they're lording it over, and that is certainly of a a concern. Let me suggest you number three in our list of four reminders. It's about motivation. Motivation is is key to everything in life. You know, there are things that motivate you and there are things that demotivate you. Uh, It may be the paycheck and that's okay. It may be getting a job well done. It may be pleasing your spouse. It may be uh, you like your lawn to look a certain way and you are motivated by so many different things because we are human beings uh, who are motivated. And uh, we aren't the only Uh, animal creatures that are motivated. Uh, Your dogs do tricks because they are motivated or they obey because they are motivated often by food. Uh, And at least none of us are ever motivated by food as well as human beings. But one of the key aspects of any leader is the ability to motivate. Uh, I would hope that when we have a conversation with our shepherds, Uh, the three, and then any others who would be added to that number, that we are not discouraged. There may be times where we need to be discouraged from doing what is wrong. But even then, we're motivated to do what is right. And this, it seems to me, requires elders to lead from what is often called the forward position. And we could go into the details of how shepherds lead and where they are in their flock, and I'm not an expert on any of that because uh, I, I don't know much about sheep or shepherding, at least in the literal sense. But elders have got to be individuals who focus on what can be done and what cannot be done. I would argue, and this is in, in my list of 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 things that are important. I would argue that if an elder is unfamiliar with the book of Nehemiah, he needs to get very familiar with it very quickly because you have a situation where you have a leader who says, we can get the job done. Just follow me. Now, we may have to get creative in how we're going to do it, and I may have to give you a pep talk from time to time, but we can get the job done done. So Nehemiah is indeed a perfect example of this. I had read for us at the outset of our services, and I appreciate Chris doing a good job of reading Luke chapter 9. We won't take the time to reread that, but I was thinking about that particular passage a few days ago in light of this sermon, and I thought particularly just about the last verse, no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of the Lord or the kingdom of God. And I played around with that in my head a little bit. No elder is fit for the job if he looks back. Now, I'm not saying that elders can't look back to the past and and try not to replicate the mistakes that you don't get me wrong. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, you've got to realize that we are about the business of making inroads into the future, and we can't undo the past always because Nehemiah and Jesus and the apostles knew where they needed to go. And elders must help the flock to see where it needs to go. And sometimes we won't see it, but they'll see it. They may say, we want a special of a series of a couple of sermons on blank. They may say, we're going to have a gospel meeting and we want him to address this particular uh, hot topic issue. And we may say, well, why? they may have to just say, you just have to trust us because we see something on the horizon in the next six to 12 months that maybe you don't see. Okay, then I'm going to listen and I'm going to do my very best to absorb as much of that material as possible. And going back to the costs that are counted, those who serve as elders and their respective spouses need to know that discouraging things are going to happen. If you've been an elder for more than 24 hours, you know that it's going to be discouraging. However, you also know that you see the best in people. You see people who privately and quietly go about doing their work. And I appreciate that our shepherds are those quiet watchers who see those things that you and others do. And that goes back to Titus chapter one, which we're not going to take the time to reread, but we read that at the outset of our study together this morning. Elders are... Uh, The evidence for this is found in this particular passage and in others. And let me suggest you just uh, a couple of other little uh, personal things here that I came across a couple of years ago. And one of those is that they've got to know that their determination and their steadfastness in face of adversity will motivate others. When we see a leader who says, you know what? He's standing strong. And in the business world, or maybe in your family life, my mom's not afraid. This is not just a male thing, even though the elders are all males. This is something we see in humanity. It was in the mid-1860s that, got to be careful where I say, tell this story from time to time, but I'm in the South, um, and I'm from the North. Hopefully, they don't hold that against me, but there stands Jackson like a stone wall. You know, that was, regardless of your, of your feeling about that, that was a man who says, I'm going to do what I want to do, whether right or wrong, good or evil. Is not the point. The point is, is we've got to sometimes stand up and stand strong and stand resilient. And elders must also know that their discouragement will demotivate others. Now, I can't find a passage that says that, but I can read in the passages and and you understand what I mean by that. Now, it's okay to admit if you are one of our three or four or five or however many we end up with at some point. Sometimes you become discouraged. You're a human being. You're 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 gonna get discouraged. But elders have got to be careful about making sure that they don't allow that to then bleed over into the congregation. Well, the shepherds are discouraged. Well, we as sheep, we're just gonna give up. And instead, the shepherds may say, "We we were discouraged and we're, we were struggling." But we are resilient. We're not giving up. We're going to stand for the truth regardless of what comes our may. And I came across this a number of years ago by a friend of mine who preaches elsewhere. And he said, instead of stepping down, what we need as elders are to step up. And I love that. Now, there are times where elders need to step down. They're unqualified. Uh, perhaps their health has gotten to a place where they're no longer able to serve, whatever the case may be. And we are thankful, and when we, we pray for, and I know that we do so publicly as we do so privately, for not just the spiritual health, but we, we are prayerful for the physical health of our shepherds. We don't want anything bad happening to them. And when there is a physical issue, we are concerned about that and we pray about that. But there are times where you have to physically step down. But if an elder steps down every time he says, well, I'm just discouraged, there'll be a whole lot of stepping down. So we need what elders to step up. And I, I just love that little that little quote that I borrowed from a preacher friend of mine a number of years ago. Let me suggest to you fourthly, and finally, there's an entire little book that I have in my library on this particular subject written by a preacher friend of mine in a different state. And it's the idea that when it comes to being a leader or leading, it's more than being a leader. Just because you've taken leadership courses, just because you're familiar with Dale Carnegie, and just because you have graduated from Leadership 201 at your business place, doesn't necessarily make you capable of being a good shepherd. How do I know that? Well, think about some of the greatest leaders in biblical history, because being a successful leader is more than just wearing a title. After all, Saul was a king. After all, Samson was a judge. Um, Judas was an apostle. And in doing so, they all had leadership traits that lended it to them having some ability to do good seems to me that's why uh, God was anointing Saul and Samson was a judge and Judas was chosen. And there's other reasons for that. Yet all of them failed to lead in a righteous capacity. And so let me just suggest to you before we close here that to successfully lead, govern, shepherd, elders must know what their role is and what it is not. Let me suggest to you three things that elders are not and can't be one is elders cannot be this they cannot be the enforcers now in my notes I put a little asterisk next to this because I thought well I I can probably be careful of that and I I didn't go back and change it but you get the point that I'm trying to make there are times where we've got to be forced to do something sheep have to be forced to move to the left to move to the right move forward or hold steady but we do not want, as, as my preacher friend in a different state says, we do not want cowboys who come in and rope us up and say, you're going to do what I tell you to do. I'm going to lovingly try to move you. And sometimes I'm going to grab you, yes. But we don't want these rough and tumble leaders who say, I'm your leader. I know what's best for you. You do what I say and don't ask any questions. And I, I point to this two weeks ago. I said this. I think we would all agree that our shepherds are not only willing to listen to our ideas, but they actually oftentimes request and say, let us know what your thoughts are. And if you don't like this particular idea on, on a non-doctrinal matter, then we'll, we'll look at it. Whether that be a meeting topic or uh, a, a new set of classes or, or a discussion on a particular uh, topic, whatever the case may be. We follow Jesus because it is evident he cares. And what does Jesus do? He allows us to make the decision. Now, there are consequences to our decisions not to follow him. But he ultimately says, it's up to you. And that's what our shepherds do as well. Now, there are consequences. In this congregation, if you choose not to do what the Lord has not asked you to do or to do vice versa, Let me suggest to you, secondly, that elders are not hired workers. Now, there is biblical principle, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and other places where an elder can be compensated. Uh, That is not the case in this particular congregation, but it certainly is is a place that is... uh, uh, that would lend itself to such a practice but i want to go over to the book of john chapter 10 you knew we were going to go to the gospel of john one more time and i want to go to john chapter 10 and i want to read just three verses here very quickly beginning in verse 11. this whole section Of John uh, from 10 through about 13 even 14 15 is really good material the whole book is, is is good material but this is really good for dealing with the idea of understanding what it means to be a shepherd Jesus as the shepherd and it says in verse 11 it says I am the good shepherd he says the good shepherd loves or gives his life for the sheep but a hireling Or some versions say a hired man. He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hired man flees because he is a hired man and does not care about the sheep. We have to have shepherds who care about the sheep. In the words of an author, and someone mentioned this a few weeks ago, in words of an author, and he wrote a book a number of years ago, we probably need to have elders that do smell like the sheep. And you understand what I mean by that. That I don't want a shepherd of physical sheep who's got 100 or 200 or 300 in his fold, and he, is, he, and he, and he looks not like a shepherd, And he smells like he just came out of Floyd's barber tonsorial. I want a shepherd that looks like he's been working, maybe some tattered clothes. And you smell, you need a bath because you've been around the sheep. You get the point that that author was making. And the point that I'm trying to make is that we want shepherds who are among us, who know us. And when we hear their voice, I know that voice. That's a voice of reason. It's a voice of leadership, and we all respect the voice of our chief shepherd the most. Elders care about the flock as if they have ownership, not in a lording it over, but in the sense that these are sheep that are important to me. And let me suggest to you thirdly, and this goes to the article that is in the bulletin this week that I encourage you to read, that elders are not executive decision makers. I've known some people who are, uh, who are I've known some executive vice presidents and CFOs of companies that serve as elders and they do a, a very fine job. But just because you are a CFO or an executive vice president or the, uh, the CCO or whatever, whatever O you are, doesn't necessarily make you a good shepherd. I'm guessing that Saul probably knew what it was to motivate people in the wrong way. And Samson had his own issues and Judas was Judas. A good businessman doesn't necessarily make a good leader. Now, the caveat to that is if you do have a business or you do have a job or you have family finances or you have a a farm or whatever the case may be, you probably wanna manage it well because that goes to the heart of 1 Timothy chapter 3 with your family and overseeing things and being of good report as well. But elders are more than just leaders. Elders are in the word that I've used repeatedly over the last four to six weeks. They are indeed shepherds who follow Jesus in his example. I want to look at one final passage in the book of Jeremiah chapter 10. I appreciate uh Brother Jonathan taking us through the first couple of chapters of Jeremiah. And I'm not sure what, what um, Jonathan did wrong, uh, but he was tasked with dealing with 52 chapters uh, in 13 weeks. So he got that job, but he's gonna do a good job with it. And he took us through the beginning of Jeremiah a couple of days ago. I wanna go to, uh, to what we'll talk about in about two weeks. And that is in chapter 10 and verse 19. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is severe. This is chapter 10, verse 19. I'm sorry, I should have put that up on the screen. Chapter 10. Um, oh, I didn't put it on the screen. That's why it's not there. <laughs> I wrote it in my notes. So see right here. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse nine. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is severe, but I say truly this is an infirmity and I must bear it. My tent is plundered. Things are bad. Jeremiah says, all my cords are broken. My children have gone from me. They are no more. There's no one to pitch my tent anymore or set up my curtains. What has led us to this drastic state of affairs that incidentally, themes in Jeremiah, he'll continue to develop over and over and over again is verse 21. The reason the shepherds have become dull-hearted, have not sought the Lord, therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. We need elders who do two things. Don't become dull-hearted and who constantly seek the Lord. That's what our elders need to do among all the other things. And elders follow Jesus as an example. Elders are sometimes going to have to enforce. Sometimes they're going to have to decide. We need to remember that the church is not a democracy. And that's maybe really hard for us as Americans and for pretty much anyone in the Western world. We don't, I, I don't know the last time that now they will seek our input, of course, but on issues about the direction we've got to go, the classes we need to take, the food we need to partake of, um, how often have we all been handed a, a slip of paper to vote on something? I know in the last three years and 10 months, it's not happened. And that's a good thing. Can you imagine trying to govern the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ with 170 to 190 people, each having their own opinions? And we all have our own opinions. Nothing wrong with that. God made us individuals. But can you imagine the chaos? Well, I didn't vote for that. Well, God, through his infinite wisdom, says, I want a church with shepherds who will guide and make decisions that will sometimes be tough and sometimes we won't agree with. Two weeks ago, we said, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I will submit and do what they've asked me to do. Let me suggest to you that in short, elders are men who care deeply. And I use that word purposefully about Christ, about the truth, and about their fellow brothers and sisters because they love the sheep. That means sometimes they are there with a stern warning. And it means sometimes they are there with a kind welcome back. And I appreciate that we have men who are serving, and I believe uh, individuals that would be willing to, in the near future or distant future or maybe far distant future, serve in that capacity to show that kind of love for Christ for the truth, and for their fellow man, because that's what we are searching for. And we are thankful for our shepherds, and we're thankful for the work that they do, and we hope that they will continue to be blessed with spiritual health and with physical health. And we pray that God will bless us as we move forward in this process. I don't have all the answers and I have not dealt with every scenario that could possibly come to play. But I hope these things are helpful as we continue thinking about this important uh, place or chapter in the life of our relationship as brothers and sisters in this congregation. It's exciting, a little bit anxious, and that's okay too, but it's exciting because this is God's blessing us and we're thankful for that. If you are here and you need a stern warning, we hope that you feel warned. Maybe not necessarily by something that we've said, but by the fact that you know the gospel message and you know your life is not where it should be or what it should be we provide you with a welcome back. And the Lord provides you with that welcome back as well. If you are a Christian not living correctly and need to make some sort of correction in your life, we'd welcome the opportunity to to welcome you back and say thank you for making that change and for being an encouragement to us. If you're not a Christian, we hope this morning that you'll say, it's time for me to dedicate my life to Jesus Christ and have my sins washed away in baptism. We'd be happy to help you, or if you've got questions, we'll study with you and do our very best to assist. Help us to help you while we stand and while we sing.